Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish tech news. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Crypto Corner. Uh, with your host, Jamil Hassan, here at the Irish Tech News, where I interview founders, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and artists in crypto and blockchain globally. And today, I have the pleasure and honor of a, a very amazing guest. He, um, His name is Philip Piper. He is the co-founder of Swarm and Swarm Markets. Philip, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Jamil. You're very welcome. Uh, so to kick things off, uh, what is your background and is it a logical background to what you do now? <laughs> that's a, that second question is a funny one because I, I shall, uh, I'll let you know uh, where that comes from, the laugh at least. Uh, so yeah, my background is I'm a mix of an entrepreneur um, and you know a corporate guy in my former life who was actually sort of with Deutsche Bank doing private equity, then with Allianz Group doing portfolio management. Honestly, found it incredibly um, boring to be in the financial industry back then. Um, and then I founded a tech company, which became one of the biggest data vendors in online advertising, sold that, uh, did some leverage buyouts of tech companies in Silicon Valley, uh, brought one to the public markets, um, and sort of was turning away from doing media business just because of some of the you know, data practices being sort of you know, going overboard. And uh, consciously was then involving, involved with uh, Singularity University in, Star- in Stanford and happened to run into the topic of blockchain randomly uh, with you know, entrepreneurs in the area going more into it in 2016. Um, and then just happened to run into an entrepreneur that had started uh, the projects forum a couple of years earlier. And then you know we gravitated towards um, basically the nature of blockchain to be ideal for instant settlement, and this single source of truth that actually it presents, um, and the resulting efficiencies for the financial markets that can be gleaned from it. So my angle coming into the space was less about cryptocurrencies and libertarianism, but it was more about actually seeing some of the deficiencies in financial markets earlier and then saying, okay, well, what is it that this can resolve and this can help with? And so ever since I've built two, two major initiatives that uh, have been known, um, one is Swarm Network, which is a sort of a decentralized organization that you know has produced in the past and continues to produce actually technology, open technology infrastructure for compliant token offerings. So everything that basically goes into you know supporting uh, compliance, making sort of making token landscape controllable from a regulatory perspective. And then uh, the second piece, which we'll probably talk about more intensely, is uh, Swarm Markets, which we launched a couple of weeks ago, which is a uh, a regulated uh, DeFi protocol or a licensed DeFi protocol that uh, is now introducing the world of liquidity uh, into the realm of a regulated offering. You're right. We are going to talk about that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, before I do, I sometimes have a have a question after the intro, and I do in your case because you and I both. Well, but, but, but sorry, I, I didn't answer the second piece of your question. So just to okay. revert that. Sure. Um, 
is it logical? Um, I think I think you know in the end it is because I think uh, without the knowledge that I have in the capital markets, I would have not probably gravitated towards the problems that we're trying to solve here, nor would have had you know the insights into uh, resolving them the way that we are doing it. But more so, not coming at if I didn't have the technical background to look at it from the technical side it wouldn't have led me into that realm either. So it's sort of the confluence of two different things that happened in my past um, that you know leads to the specific problem in blockchain that we're resolving. So, and, and by the way, the same applies to my co-founder, Timo Leas, who uh, equally sort of has a developer ground on, background, went to an SEC licensed broker uh, dealer, he was managing money, built a deal origination platform. Like he did a lot of FinTech stuff before actually sort of blockchain came around. So I think, um, these, these things are incredibly important, uh, or we tend to forget that they are that important, but they are important to know actually how to navigate some of these issues and actually be compatible with the space that we're trying to sort of, you know, deliver solutions to. Great. That was what I was going to have my second follow-up question on. You know, how, how, how did you find moving from your corporate background, your corporate experience to being an entrepreneur in blockchain, like how... Um, was the transition for you? Well, I, th I think the, the step in between sort of as alluded to has been that, you know, I went from the corporate world into an entrepreneurial setup, built a couple of companies already in the tech space. And to me, this was just an extension of, a, you know, of a tech entrepreneurship into whatever blockchain presents. And there is some big differences, right? So um, I consciously went, um, you know, into this ivory tower of Silicon Valley back then, uh, lived there for 10 years. Um, you know, Silicon Valley is built on centralized business models around software and data. Um, and to a certain extent, um, blockchain is exactly the opposite. Um, and that, that basically also allow, allowed me to go away from Silicon Valley again, because there's a lot of resources and a lot of business outside of, you know, that ecosystem that can benefit from this kind of technology and is very open to it. Um, and uh, to a certain extent, the, you know, these models actually require a different DNA of a person to engage some different ways to think about business models. Um, and, and also, you know, has the luxury of actually unlocking other talent outside of, you know, these, these technology hubs like Silicon Valley is. Um, in order to engage in this kind of space. So we're, we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, so I want to ask you about, you know, Swarm and Swarm Markets. Like last two weeks ago, you said, how does that all tie together? How does that work? Sure. So, um, so when we, when we set out to build this sort of compliance technology, the open source compliance technology with Swarm Network, um, I think it was a time when sort of, you know, regulation was not really known to the space um, and quite to the contrary, it was almost despised. Um, and to a certain extent, that was a very, you know, romantic utopian view, which, you know, I think we all sort of love to play in. But the reality that, you know, obviously with our backgrounds, we knew from capital markets was that that was, that was sort of, you know, a, a time that was, you know, going to end at some point in time. And, uh, you know, within 2017 already, the first, you know, significant moves by regulators globally happened, you know, then, then you know, piece by piece that subsequently sort of took further shape in development. So, um, you know, uh, building sort of regulatory, regulatory compatible technology was something that already was a little like ahead of the curve. And, you know, we, we effectively built it 
with a goal to allow, you know, sort of the tokenization of assets to become a very, you know, very empowering process, a cheap process, a replicatable process. Um, but, you know, the after two years of doing that, actually one of the key questions that kept, kept coming back uh, with customers was actually, why should I tokenize? And it sounds like it's such an easy and obvious, you know, question to, to answer, but, um, you know, we were basically all as an industry um, drinking the Kool-Aid of actually saying, okay, well, it is about, you know, all the magnificent thing that it brings, you know, it's about fractionalization, it's about, you know, immediate settlement, it's about 24 seven tradability, it's about, you know, cheap, cheap transfer of ownership, all that kind of stuff. But um, it, it, in the end, it relies actually on a functioning market for these assets that are securities to exist. And for the longest time, we were rooting from the sidelines um, to other players in the space like T0 and Open Finance and others to, to create those markets. Um, and it's sort of as a yin and a yang. You, you need the issuance side to be going alongside with the liquidity side in order to properly function. And so uh, while that became obvious that, you know, specifically in the United States, it was becoming a very, very difficult uh, problem to solve to, to get that in, you know, in an accepted fashion. Um, we saw in Europe at least a lot more forward-leaning um, attitude by regulators, and you know we were in different jurisdictions here. But uh, but then suddenly Germany came along, and Germany put a stake in the ground and said, okay, we're we're gonna you know we're gonna define you know the, the to not just tokenized assets, but also um, sort of utility tokens as financial instruments. And while that sounds horrible from a libertarian perspective it's actually a pretty big opportunity when you recognize that that gives a lot of confidence to people that want to build on it right so if you then go through the ordeal of actually getting a license and, and becoming compatible with that ecosystem um, you then actually can give your customers incredible amounts of confidence and uh, just basically pass pass that confidence on into business opportunity right and i want to talk about asset-backed offerings in a little bit here um, but I want to talk about something that you guys focus on, which is which is BAF, BA, FIN, um, right? As opposed to you know CFI and DeFi. Can you explain what that is as opposed to the other two, and you know what that's all about? Okay, so so BAFIN is the name of the German regulator. This is not a category of um, technology. So it's the Bundesamt für Finance, which is the equivalent of the FCA in the UK and the equivalent of the SEC in the United States. Um, the just briefly said the difference is that the you know the regulatory mandate you know specifically in europe is somewhat different than what the american regulators have um and that is specifically around actually what kind of purview does the regulator have in a global setting which means you know when whenever a u.s person touches a security offering the sec is compelled to you know find responsibility for it and and just look at it and you know that can be that can be in a totally different jurisdiction that can be completely outside the united states right um that is somewhat different for for the the way that the german regulator and european regulators understand themselves it is basically that they they say whenever a business is run out of you know the German country, um, then then obviously and and it's a, and it touches a licensed activity, then you actually have to license with the regulator, um, and then it protects German customers buying you know products in Germany uh, under certain circumstances where Boffin also then is is responsible. So it is a it is a 
it's a it's a it's a way to actually still service the global market, but within a regulated activity out of a very credible jurisdiction. Now, CFI and DeFi, like you were mentioning, um, just to explain maybe to the listeners actually what those mean. So CFI stands for centralized finance and DeFi stands for decentralized finance. And under CFI, you probably you know understand most of traditional finance where you have some counterparty that runs a centralized system that basically builds a centralized set of products and through that offers that to its customers. DeFi is almost the exact opposite where it's basically you know financial product technology that is built on sort of decentralized uh, infrastructure. Uh, meaning that um, mostly those are smart contracts or you know different shapes and forms how you can actually make use of a protocol to do you know exchange trading or you can do lending or you can do other financial you know activities and mostly there traditionally there have not been any kind of regulations there not haven't been any kind of restrictions on how you can use them and so um, what we do is sort of a hybrid between the two um, but we lean towards DeFi because we preserve a lot of the core um, the core aspects of what DeFi represents, which means that there's a self-custody of the assets, there's transparency in what it does, so if it's auditability, but also there's, um, there's just um, decision-making that the user can do by themselves about what they do, and there's very little restrictions alongside that. The flavors that put us more into the CeFi camp is that we do, from a regulatory perspective, have to constrict uh, who gets to be involved, what assets can be running on the on the system, and what methods are being used. Um, but you know, it's it's sort of a healthy mix between the two, where it's whereas it's uh, leaning more towards DeFi. So, you mentioned earlier when you came in 2016, you know, regulations were despised, um, and I'm seeing you know um, stances by the SEC that they want to regulate DeFi, right? Um, so I'm looking at, you know, if they do, how do you think that would look and what would be the impact on you and your company? Well, so um, it's just a reality that that's in, in some shape and form going to happen. And it's not some rumblings that may or may not take place, right? The, the, the reason for that is that it, it it has become such a big volume that is already traded amongst those protocols that the regulars are concerned with you know they're saying they're concerned mostly with the risks that users are taking um although you could argue that actually the risks are transparent so you know maybe there's just some education that has to happen but you know there is some control risk of you know money laundering you know terrorist financing and other other related issues that um, that do impact the way that the regulators see the way that they can control the health of a um, of a financial market. Secondly, um, you know there is a protection element of the end consumer that basically you know you want to avoid that just structurally there can be you know anything to the tune of front running or just ambiguity in the market that is not obvious to the normal participants and that people can exploit. And those are good reasons to actually sort of step in and make sure that um, everyone knows what they're dealing with and that everyone sort of, you know, operates on, you know, honest and honorable terms. Um, the, the result, though, is a little more complicated. So, you know, although someone says, okay, I want to regulate DeFi, 
it doesn't necessarily mean that you can suddenly um, shut down an activity of a smart contract. That smart contract is out there and it may not even be administered by anyone. So it's incredibly hard uh, as a regulator to say, okay, that, that is a prohibited activity and I'm gonna make it go away. Um, so, but only because that's not possible, it doesn't mean necessarily that you don't have other methods to, um, you know, to sort of impact that because either you have, you know, teams that are involved with some kind of administrative function that deploy the contracts, or you have teams that are involved by that, that still have some kind of administration within the smart contracts um, that, you know, could be impacted or could be held responsible for what's happening. And we've seen part of that in the past, um, even with you know very decentralized technologies. Where the SEC, there was a there was a ruling on Ether Delta around about two years ago, which was a one of the first decentralized exchanges, and they had listed tokens that were deemed securities by the SEC, and they just were serving all this through a website, and the website was basically their responsibility, although the underlying infrastructure was you know decentralized. Um, the, the second aspect that you do, you know, do have to recognize is that in the end, you know, as much as we want or, or some people want actually the cryptocurrencies to become the standard currencies of the world, the reality is it's far from it, right? So um, you still have that path where you know, at some point in time, the value that people generate in this realm have to come back into the, the real world money, the, the so-called fiat ecosystem. And you know, that's a very controllable entry point. So anyone who offers, you know, a sort of a crypto to fiat gateway in some ways, you know, can in the United States or elsewhere be held responsible by the regulator and saying, okay, well, only let stuff in, only let crypto in that, you know, is clean. And today clean means mostly that it's not affiliated with nefarious activity. But, you know, the definition of nefarious activity, the regulator can easily expand. They can easily say, okay, well, if you have generated most of your money in a DeFi, in an unregulated DeFi setup, well, then it's a questionable activity. And either you have to then give full transparency backwards in what you've been doing, or just, you know, it's it becomes a sort of tainted asset and you can't actually make use of it anymore. So um, my point is that although like the direct activity of DeFi might not be um, constrained, the effects of what DeFi presents um, can very much be impacted. Great. So um, I look at DeFi as though I'm able to pick my own yield based on my own level of risk that I choose, right? Um, and also, I get a statement every month. My wife had put some money in for my eight-year-old into the bank, and it says interest earned, zero percent, zero dollars, right? So what are those oh, that's banks? great that she gets she gets zero because most people get negative these days. Good zeros. See, with DeFi, I get to choose, right? I get to, okay, do I want eight percent? Do I want ten percent? Well, if I risk my balance to take, what do banks have to do now so that they're not impacted and put and, and by DeFi? And how can they? How can they? You know, um, build it into their processes and make use of it. Yeah, I think that's a. It's a very wide question because um, I think the, at the core of this question is actually how how do banks in future look like, and you know 
how fast is what we're talking about going to become sort of the you know the core fabric of how banks operate and you know there's different versions of of how that can look like but the reality is that you know as much as i would say blockchain in general was you know certainly 4 years or 5 years ago was sort of very gimmicky and it wasn't really relevant from a volume perspective that certainly has changed um then defi you know which has existed for more than you know two years so elements that weren't coined defi already existed before you know last year in summer in, in the summer of 2020 there was a, a big wave of innovative technology that was coming and coining the term defi um but the reality is also that you know that volume in defi has increased so it was round about like you know sub 4 billion dollars on the protocol on defi protocols in you know the beginning of 2020 that is roughly 80 90 billion at this point in time and while that is still not in an order of magnitude in comparison to what the financials markets have the dynamic and the speed at which that has been happening is is you know noteworthy and the other piece is that it's been battle proven so within the last 12 months there have been different you know use cases different technologies that have evolved that basically present um you know very new ways how to think about how to run financial products and you know obviously by so much money being at stake there there have been like every hacker in god's planet you know has been uh, has been trying to get a hold of these assets partly successfully but you know in the end um it's been it's been basically a a fire test uh, for this um and so what what we sense at least in the last 6 months is that there's been some sense within the financial industry that some shape and form of what what we call defi today will actually very fastly become a way for banks to you know to make use of and to communicate amongst each other um and in reality it's the for the first time a programming platform that you know is a meta meta layer that banks can actually communicate with one another uh, amongst each other so that's an opportunity the 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 challenge for banks then is that you know their stack gets disintermediated it's it's basically they they have a very verticalized stack that you know goes from you know capital acquisition to a mediator function to a distribution function and you know that partially is in danger and it doesn't mean that um the the function of a bank goes away but it changes and so i'm very convinced that you know if if banks recognize the sort of the, the customer focus so what is the customer and they're still in future in need of you know you know is it's a trusted counterparty it's some kind of you know some kind of function to um you know to give some advice whereas a lot of advice is going to move into artificial intelligence but then the the simple capital markets aggregation function and the way how to run financial products might not no longer be a bank's function it might be that they are the creator of different products but those products will very dynamically compete against all the other products in the market and it's going to be very easy for users in future to switch providers and that's that's a good thing for the entire market because it produces choice and it produces you know a lively market where i can make choices based on how i'm treated how much trust i have in the system and how how the economics are functioning for me and I want to ask you about the financial products and the customer focus. Right? So traditionally, right, retail buyers like you 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 came from Deutsche, I came from AIG, right? Retail buyers had very limited choices what they could buy. They could buy annuities or insurance or some other things, right? Mutual funds. Yeah. Right? 
with swarm markets, you know, um, and with their focus on customer and building products, what type of new opportunities are available to retail, especially retail who may have only in the past actually even had only access to scratch off lottery tickets? How, how, what do you bring into the market that's unique? Okay. So it's a, it's a progression, right? So, um, you know, not not a lot of what I'm going to allude to sort of ex exists right now today, but that's going to you know change in a in a in a different path of releases um, in a in a very tangible way. So, what what we see the opportunity with is that um, okay. So number one, there's a lot of bystanders to this ecosystem that so far have a hard time engaging. Um, you know, so far it was. A lot of the crypto geeks that were basically sort of doing this as a way to, you know, produce their own market, but it was, you know, then were the more advantageous or adventurous people that came in from sort of the fringes of the financial markets, maybe family offices, maybe you know, dedicated crypto funds that were engaging. But there's a whole realm of, you know, even the next layer in um, a whole realm of institutional investors that have. That for for whom it's impossible to in, in you know engage in the space because from a compliance perspective they are prohibited to do so because they don't know who the counterparties are they they don't necessarily you know have a way to um, to convince their regulatory compliance to say okay this is fine and you know we we know what we're dealing with and so it's it's first of all important for us to present one solution for these players to start engaging. And that means a tremendous amount of volume for the space that previously didn't take place that same way, right? So um, it's something where, you know, a different pool of liquidity will then start evolving that is, you know, additional to what exists today. Um, the second piece is, um, you know, we, we will present other kinds of products that are gonna operate on the same kind of premises of what DeFi presents, right? So, um, you know, bringing assets that, you know, are either public assets, public, you know, equities or commodities onto a programming platform or a pool platform like we are operating today, it, it is a big deal, right? Because um, you suddenly can do other things with, once they're digitized, you can do other things with, you know, with these kind of assets. So they become sort of programming entities that then can become part of other synthetic products built on top of it. Um, and the market can be made in a completely different way. So this this notion of network liquidity, which in the capital markets were always like liquidity was provided by experts and by sort of you know aggregators, um, and so here suddenly for the first time this concept of where where the asset holder themselves can produce a market by pooling together capital and the capital then becomes or the capital pool becomes a market. Um, that is revolutionary because it allows everyone who holds the asset to, in the in the end, make money and participate in the function of providing liquidity, and make choices on that, and still be in con full control over what that you know that means and whether that's an activity they want to engage in. But they don't need necessarily need expert knowledge to do that, right? And and that's that's a very 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 big deal. Um, and so by adding new assets to this equation with these new methods the assets themselves were be will benefit tremendously so uh, give you an example you know if if you look at a big fund um hypothetically speaking if you look at a big fund that actually sort of invests into equities um a lot of them actually hold these positions in a in a fairly long term 
you know, they have a foundational fundamental analysis, they go in, they, you know, post a possibly, you know, execute governance over the company. Not, they don't have to be activist investors, but basically just saying, okay, I believe in this category. I believe in this co company doing well in the category. We go in, we're sort of in there for, you know, two to maybe seven years, depending on what their perspectives are. Um, with, with concepts like I just described, that doesn't change. But the thing that changes is that they could make another percentage point in terms of swap fees or producing the market. And 1% in addition to what the returns are is a very, very convincing argument to financial players that so far cannot make that. They give that away to other players making it. So it's, it's one example how suddenly a setup, if you change that setup, it can become a very, very attractive value proposition for someone who's in that game anyway. I see, and I get it. And you said all of a sudden these people don't need expert knowledge to help them. And then a little while ago, you also you also said there's going to be a role for artificial intelligence. So I just want to find out what your thoughts are and what that role of artificial intelligence in your space replacing expert knowledge what that what that could look like or what that is looking like now. Well, so, so not needing expert knowledge, first of all, I was referring to the, the, the act of this network liquidity. So where a protocol of effectively allows you to, you know, provide a function to the market that so far, you know, was preserved for experts. And it's a very simplistic way how to deal with it. That said, you know, and, and artificial intelligence of what I'm describing is not specific to blockchain. Um, if you look at, you know, different providers in the markets, you know, today already robo advisors like Betterment and others, you know, already and and already artificial intelligence is taking over a lot of the complexities, you know, of continuously assessing what the market presents in terms of opportunity, where, you know, the you know, a human probably couldn't be as fast and comprehensive and probably even not discover the nuances of opportunity like a machine can. You know, we humans are built for interpreting two dimensions at max. And when it comes to n dimensions, it becomes really difficult, right? Um, so, and, and this, is, this is beyond just speed of execution. So um, if, you, if you actually do your analysis and we process in a certain way linearly as humans, if you, if you actually have a machine that does it in, in one split second and then the next split second can actually execute it, um, that's just incredibly efficient. Um, and you know, that's that's going to just continue because, you know, the traditional financial markets, basically, there's a data feed, a big data pipe that, you know, gives algorithms the ability to do that. And it's obviously very comprehensive and transparent. What now we can do with the programming elements that the blockchain brings or a blockchain based system brings is that you can suddenly on the fly change the financial products themselves based on market conditions. So you can you can suddenly, you know, do protocol lending. No one on the other side as a counterparty then has to actually give you a grant, but it basically, you know, it's basically a way to just immediately lend against it. You long your position, you do shorts, you do all sorts of different trading strategies that make use of these Lego pieces of DeFi. And, you know, AI is beyond just the interpretation and the analysis segment. It's gonna have a much broader scope of execution abilities because those tools are just there to be used then at that point in time. So we as, we as end users are gonna, you know, see obviously the benefits come into play by either producing more 
um, more yield, or just you know automating a lot of the stack of yield that normally would have been eaten out by middlemen. And you know basically the the outside you know outside of the equation actually benefits. So you know the recipient of you know of money benefits and the provider of money benefits and everything in between can can be shortened. Got it. Great. I love yield. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I want to thank you very much for your time today. This is a great conversation. I learned a lot. I have one last question. Um, how can people find out, out more information about you, about Swarm Markets, um, what you're up to? How, how can they do that? Sure. Um, so the website is swarm.markets. Um, it's, a, it's a rabbit hole to go down. There's a lot of information there. Um, we are on on Twitter with Swarm Markets, fairly active. Um, you know, both on the website and on Twitter, we read DMs and the sort of we have a support uh, channel um, on the website as well. It's fairly easy to get in touch with us. Um, and me personally, you can reach out to as well. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, you can also send me a Twitter message. Uh, Philip Piper is the handle. Um, so shouldn't be a problem to get in touch. Great. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Jamil. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.